You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. I'm Nate Kading, and this is Real Success. This is the Corridor Business Journal podcast, where we explore the life and careers of the Corridor's most influential business leaders. Chris Klitgaard is the entrepreneur behind MetaRev, a company aimed at helping other healthcare institutions with their revenue cycle challenges. Chris founded MetaRev in 2007 and grew the company to over 1,400 employees over the last 13 years before selling to Tegria earlier this year. I talked to Chris about the desire of the entrepreneur to be his own boss, why he chose to stay here in Iowa, and the struggles of growing from a basement startup to a company with an annual revenue of $85 million in 2020. Chris also shares his thoughts on prioritizing a workplace culture that puts employees first, the future for the business of healthcare, and what's next after an entrepreneur finally sells their company. I learned a lot, and I think you will too. Stay tuned. This episode of Real Success with Nate Kading is brought to you by Midwest One Bank. Midwest One Bank is the proud partner for doers and entrepreneurs in the corridor and beyond. As an SBA preferred lender, our team is ready to help you reach your business goals. It's empowered money management. It's Midwest One Bank, member FDIC. Well, Chris, thanks so much for, for taking the time um, on, a, on a warm uh, fall day here in Iowa City. I appreciate you making the time. Now, you're you know, a good friend and also one of the uh, you know architects, founders of one of you know what I would consider one of the best business success stories in the corridor of the last decade, um, having started MetaRev in, in 2007 and, and built it into the juggernaut that it, that it is, uh, you know, from 2007 to 2020, going from six employees to almost 1,400 total nationwide and zero bucks in revenue to, you know, 80, and I know now north of, of $100 million a year. So, but, you know, I want to go back to sort of where it started was here at University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics, where you were um, you know, both studying school and then had, had your first job in, in revenue cycle management. Talk a bit about, you know, your first foray into into that industry, so to speak, yeah. re- revenue cycle management. I mean, it, it's one, it's, uh, you know, may not, some wouldn't consider it the sexiest, <laughs> no. you know, uh, businesses ever. I don't know if that's when you were growing up as a kid here in Iowa, if that's what you, you were dreaming of getting into. But talk a bit about how you stumbled into, into that as a career at, here at the university. Yeah, you know, happy to. So, you know, Came to Iowa from, or came to the University of Iowa from Harlan, Iowa, which is in Southwest Iowa, small town of about 5,500 people, and found my way into a finance degree in undergrad. Really enjoyed it, but also throughout undergrad and was involved in a lot of different volunteering, different student organizations, and things like that. And so I, while I enjoyed the numbers aspect of finance, I also had this pull towards kind of human services and you know and and whatnot and was introduced to the discipline of like healthcare management. And there was this degree, a master's in health administration that um, is kind of under the radar. But what we know now is healthcare is like a multi-trillion dollar business a year, you right. know? And so I think my timing coming into that kind of study was very interesting and was not expected. I, you know, I thought I was going to go into banking, private equity, sure. something like that. What'd your parents do in Harlem? Oh yeah, so my dad and uh, three of his brothers owned the local lumberyard okay. in nice. town, and so we grew up building houses. It's some commercial work, but mostly, yeah, mostly residential. A lot of numbers there with within the lumber world. You oh know, yeah, you got, you constantly. 
you know, and Wits my, and links and dollars and yeah. Oh yeah. Any, any fun stories from growing oh up gosh. around the lumber yard and that business? Oh, so many. I mean, you know, first of all, I think one of the most important things is you really understood hard work. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of us are fortunate that we can use our brains to in our careers and uh, less on the physical side. When you're in something like that, it's both. Sure. You know, and um, and so you know, my dad. So I'm the oldest of five kids and. My dad was always like, you know, he didn't get a chance to go to college. And so he was always pushing us, you're gonna work with your brain, not your body. Sure. You know, yep. and really pushing us. And and if you did both, fine, but he wanted us to get an education and he really saw the value in that. And so Did your dad I, start the company or did he inherit so, it or so he and three of his brothers it? bought into um, they had bought a construction company from a okay. guy locally. And so um, they did that for a long time and my mom was a homemaker, but um, she always ran a daycare out of our house. She also did craft shows. So there was always this element of entrepreneurialism. Sure. Although you go back into the, you know, I was, you know, in the growing up in the, the 80s mostly, you know, and early 90s, um, you didn't, the word entrepreneurialism wasn't there. You yeah. Know, you weren't an entrepreneur. Just what you did, right? You, yeah. were, you were just doing it. You were a small business owner and you were yeah. just working, you know. And so I look back on those days very fondly because you know, you could see the progress of what you were doing every single day, mm-hmm. right? Like you put up the, you know, you yep. dug a foundation, you poured the foundation, you, you know, you put up the walls, you got into the finish work and were doing, you know, cabinetry and all this stuff. I mean, you could just see it happen so quickly. And, you know, if there was anything that was hard going into more of like a kind of a desk job type of a role was you can't see that progress right. every single day, yeah, Absolutely, you know, um, but uh, yeah, so I got into this health administration track and wasn't 100% sure I wanted to go into hospitals because I'd never done it before. So right. I also got an MBA from Iowa. So fortunate to be kind of a three-time Hawkeye graduate, which is cool. Um, but when I finished my MHA at, in 98, 99, um, I went and worked for the University of, University of Hospitals mm-hmm. and uh, University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics. And the first few years there, I was doing a bunch of different things, but I kept gravitating towards like IT yep. and finance. And they had this huge capital project that they were uh, undertaking where they were ripping out a homegrown kind of business application systems and, and installing a third-party system. And a portion of that third-party system was this element of revenue cycle. And, yeah. you know, for the, the people who don't know what that is, it's basically anything related to your visit at a with a healthcare provider that's not clinical so hmm. scheduling your appointment registering right. with all your demographic information who's your insurance company making sure that you know the insurance companies get billed appropriately and then collections, collections yeah. on that and then you know um, and so what I what I found was that we had started using some firms um, through this system mm-hmm. conversion that were national players and oddly enough, none of their leaders had actually worked in a hospital really? or right. for a big, large, you know, physician group. Right. And so, you know, um, I also saw some things that we could do differently. Mm-hmm. Um, these were in some pretty metropolitan areas and the turnover at these, these firms were like 50%. They weren't really taking care of the employees. Right. They were just trying to churn the work through. And yeah. so, you know, when we... Did you, right, right when you took the job at UIC, were you immediately sort of observing? Was there this 
thing in the back of your mind, like I'm, I'm also, you know, I'm here in, in public sector, you know, public hospital, yeah. but interacting with private sector companies. Was that something that immediately you did or were you there just sort of learning you the know, ropes out of the gate and then, yeah. you know, this, this, I, these observations started to come to you? You know, it's funny. I thought I was going to be the CEO of an academic medical center. Mm-hmm. Honestly, that's what, I, that's what I set out to do. Um, but it was funny because the dot-com bubble was in late 90s, early 2000s. Yep. And that kind of caught my attention with this, this IT um, kind of interest that I had. And so while I was going down that path, I also had this desire and this pull to kind of be my own boss. Right. Um, because that's kind of the environment that I had grown up in. Yeah, almost the polar opposite from an academic yeah, medical I mean, center. It, totally. Yeah. And so it was like, it was this, this kind of push and pull a little bit on my career was taking off in this public sector. Yeah. But I also knew that to continue on that journey, I would have to move quite a bit. Right. And so, you know, the last three or four years that I was working there, um, I was seeing that on the very near horizon that I was going to need to make a move mm-hmm. elsewhere. So was and, there a, uh, you know, a light bulb moment that said, hey, this is, I'm going to take this plunge and go start my own company and leave, leave the, uh, you know, the big, big public academic healthcare yeah. system? Or was, I, it, was it a slow sort of gravitational pull that direction? No, I think what it came down to is that, you know, <clears throat> in order to continue advancing, I got a pretty... Fortunately, a lot of opportunity given to me pretty early on over there, but I was at a point where I needed to go to a different institution, a different place to get different and, you know, more varied experience. I wanted to keep kind of climbing that corporate ladder. And um, honestly, my oldest daughter had been born. My second was on his way. And when it came down to it, um, I honestly didn't want to leave Iowa. I love Iowa City. You know, I enjoyed growing up in Iowa. I felt it was going to be a great place to raise my kids. And so kind of that pull and that if there was a light bulb moment, it, it was probably over the course of like a 12 to 18 month period. I'm like, you know, I think I want to stay put in the area. Yeah. And then I really focused on like, okay, if I'm going to do this, you know, what are options? And then I started looking to other kind of entrepreneurial endeavors that I might be able to yeah. to jump into and better have became... You know, was it was it a late night in a bar napkin where you kind of mapped out the the structure of the business model for MetaRev, or did you lean on some some mentors, or what? How, yeah. Where did it really start to become a, a reality for you? So there were a couple of us that it was bar napkins, <laughs> yeah. playing some pool down at College Street Billiards, mm-hmm. you know, having coffees and um, just kind of knocking around different ideas, and you know that's how the genesis of the business plan came up, and then. Um, we needed to find funding. And so um, we thought we were going to try to just take it all on ourselves, but realized that we probably needed some people. I was 32 at the time sure. and needed some people with a little bit more gray hair that yeah. had done it um, to help guide Those people us. people cost money. Those people <laughs> cost money. And this fortunately was in, you know, the way that we were able to do it is we brought them into the, uh, the original investors. Oh, great. Um, and so... That was the best decision we made. What would it cost to get MetaRev going back back in 2007? You can't even believe this stuff, but we did an initial capital raise of 900 grand. Never took on another penny the rest of our... In those first sort of projections, how much runway did that that give you guys? A couple years? Yep. So we thought we would be... We thought we would break even by the end of year two. Mm -hmm. 
And the way that just our fiscal years lined up, end of year two, we still lost a little bit of money, but six months into this, that third year, yeah. we were we were cash flow positive, which was great. Um, but you know, when you start these businesses, and at the time, I mean, you know, I always joke, like I was so naive, I had no idea how hard it was gonna be, <laughs> yeah, or I would, yeah. would have never done it. Yeah, um, hey, it's on paper, hey, it's on two paper. years, we're gonna be making a profit, and we'll have yeah. X amount of customers, and. Yeah, it was gonna be easy, right? And so, um, but you know, at the end of the day, I think that we built the company foundationally the right way, and mm -hmm. we're able to, with by seeking outside investors, we still ran it. It was definitely a shoestring operation, but we had enough runway that we could weather the the first eighteen months or so, yeah. you know, before we started cash flow positive. That um, that really allowed us to foundationally build the company in a way that kind of flipped the industry on its head at the time. Yeah. Um, and primarily that was, we were going to treat our employees the right way. Keep them around, treat them well, pay them well, um, but create a culture where they had a voice yeah. and, uh, was something that, you know, we held true to for the 15 years, That's awesome. you know, that I was at the helm. So and most, most founders sort of go through that. The spectrum, right? When they found a company where there's the, you know, sort of the honeymoon phase. This is great. I'm off and running. It's new. But then sometime in that first, call it, uh, you know, 12, 18, 24 months, there's you know, maybe some holy cow, what I get myself into oh, type yeah. of moments. <laughs> when you think back to those first couple of years for you guys at Metarev, what, um, you know, was, was there one of those points in time when you're like, man, I need to, I might need to go back here and go back to my old job or, 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 or this wasn't the greatest idea to start this company? You know what's funny is, that was the probably with the very first lesson that I learned. So I left university hospitals in May of 07. Mm -hmm. And I left because I had a handshake deal with a, with a, a health system out in upstate New York that I had been doing some consulting with. And um, basically, they, the CFO there said, hey, you're the vendor of choice, but we're a state entity, we've got to run through an RFP process. Mm -hmm. They went through the RFP process, and during that process, they decided not to award the contract to anyone. They were going to wow. leave it and they were going to keep it internal. Sure. So I had left my job, hired five additional people. <laughs> like, here I am. Here yeah. I am. We're ready to go. Like, yeah. let's get going. And, and it didn't happen. And so I think, you know, that was kind of the, that was kind of a, a moment where you're, you know, you realize a couple of things. First of all, you want to be able to trust people, mm -hmm. and um, but you also need to protect yourself and your employees and your investment in your business, sure. right? And so we were pretty cautious thereafter to make sure that we had our contracts pretty locked down before we were making huge investments into yeah. what might be, yeah. you know. Who was the, what was the first big fish you guys got? So you got on the line and reeled into oh, the man. boat? You know, I'll say the first, I'll start with the first fish. That ended up being the biggest fish, but it was because... We had a referenceable client, Waverly Health System, in uh, Waverly, Iowa. Yeah, <laughs> it was a tiny, more tiny, of a bluegill than a large. It was, bass. yeah, it was a, yeah. it was a bluegill, but it allowed us to have a client that validated our story. Sure. And so, you know, they were so gracious um, in being references for us that it was unbelievable. And um, you know, but then I would say. Size-wise and scale, that really pushed us to grow. Is we signed um, one of the we signed the University of California Irvine mm -hmm. in Irvine, California, about 18 months in, and had to hire like 25 to 30 people, and that was our 
that was that was really what I guess probably put our uh, our face on the map. You sure. Know, I think that's one of the more intriguing stories about Metarev. I mean, there's many of them, but just the speed at which you guys grew. I mean, you yeah. were you know corridor. Business Journal, fastest growing companies list, you know, pretty pretty much perennially yeah. during, you know, from 2010 to 2020. What lessons were learned about managing growth? You know, as you look back on it, what, you know, what mistakes maybe did you guys make that you, if you could go back with the magic wand and change them? And what do you think yeah. you guys did right that, that helped you navigate through through such rapid change? That's a great question. I think, you know, there's, there's several things. I think, first of all, as a small startup, cash flow, you can never underestimate, yeah. you know, the need to watch that very closely. So I would say that, um, you know, for entrepreneurs that might be thinking about starting up a business, that's the most one of the most important things. But I think, as the founder, kind of CEO, I was also the CFO for a long time, and I think if I were to do things differently, I would have definitely hired a CFO sooner. Mm -hmm. I probably held on to that a little bit too long, but it also enabled me to understand kind of what the puts and takes were and yeah, where we needed to make investments and where we didn't. And so, you know, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. I think that we could have probably built out our senior team a little bit faster. But again, what we did is, I think by by not doing that, the, the hierarchy or the org structure that oftentimes creates layers between senior leadership and your, your, your frontline staff, mm -hmm. um, we were able to push that out for a really long time. And... I mean, it allowed us to develop a culture where people literally could come knock on our door at any time. Right. You know, and I think that that was really important. Um, you know, we started in 07, but then the recession of 08, we were one of the very few companies that were still hiring during that time. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to get um, a, a lot of really good employees right out of the gate that we talked about growth constantly. Like our values were work hard, play hard, oh, be kind, and being kind. Um, and I think that it was funny because the first few years, we just talked about those things and we acted on those. We never yeah. put them up on a wall or anything like that, but it really kind of became, I think, Metarev's, um, what they were known for in the, in the local market mm -hmm. and even in the industry with the people that we were selling to is that we really valued our people. And yeah. because of that, they would work harder on behalf of our clients and their patients. What were the biggest um, hurdles, if any, that you had to pull to the side in order to accomplish that growth? I mean, was it was it sort of self-selecting in a sense that, you know, your employees, you know that, it's written on the wall when you walk in, be growth-minded. I mean, if you, companies that I know are out there, you know, maybe, you know, button up against some sort of ceiling, you have to hit that next sort of stratosphere. Like, what what was it that you had to push to the side to really put the rocket fuel into it? It was, that's a, yeah, it was interesting. So, you know, as you, you're growing, this field is fairly commoditized. So everybody wants, wants it for free, basically. I mean, they, they don't want to pay for it, right? Um, and so then trying to differentiate yourself in a very crowded market was important. And, and what was tough is that we outgrew kind of the mom and pop shops so we could outcompete them, but yep. we had a really hard time when it came to these firms that were billion dollar entities, right? right that were just so much 10x what we were. Yeah. Um, and so really what we did the last four or five years is we started taking on clients of ours also on our cap table. Hmm. So we brought them in as investors, but at the same time we're serving, we're, we're signing commercial contracts with them 
That's that right. yeah, some full alignment. Really yeah. aligned our our growth initiatives in a way that I don't think we could have done otherwise. Yeah, smart. Um, and that trajectory is still what I think the better of and their parent company Tegria is still still moving towards. Yes, that's great. What uh, I know you mentioned tons of times your culture. It's always been admirable at MetaRev. Like, are there a couple unique things you guys did as a company from a culture standpoint, whether it was yeah. events or anything? You know, anything stand out? Oh man, we had epic holiday parties. <laughs> I mean, they were pretty epic. Um, and I think at the end of the day, again, it's, what did you guys do at at the office or offsite? No, or we did them all offsite. We would do them. You know, bad, like bad turtle and ugly sweaters, or they were mostly, curls. you know. For us, people like got all dressed up. It yeah. was like a big formal event, a big yeah. formal event, and not black tie, but people wore jackets and yeah. you know all the ever you know dresses and stuff like that. But we would um, we would always do these uh, huge giveaways, so we would have raffle tickets, and people just got really into it. And um, everybody would be out on the dance floor, and you know we would do them at the you know the graduate or what used to be the Sheraton or. Vitro, or yeah. you know, it, it kind of depended because we would grow out of space and have to go to the next one. But those those holiday parties, I think, really allowed people to just let their hair down and be themselves and see people for who they really were, and you know, got everybody out of a, an environment. And you know, I know people's legal teams would probably frown upon <laughs> those or their HR departments. But Too we close always, to the spiked punch bowl. Yeah, and but it was awesome. But you know, on a day to day basis, though, so when you're when you have people who are sitting at their desk just hammering away on the phone or on the computer for eight, nine hours a day. You know, we would do these minute to win it's where we would just ring, you know, we would basically tell everybody an email would get sent out and be like, meet out in the parking lot at, you know, 2.15 and it's like 2.10, you know, and so everybody would hurry up and wrap up what they were doing and come out and we did everything, all these different challenges. We had dunk contests on little, <laughs> on like little tight hoops like and flash stuff like mom. that. Like, yeah, we would them. do, that's cool. you know, all, all kinds of stuff, but it was really... The fun part was while the while some of us is in the, on the leadership team, kind of led that cultural development and and these experiences for people. We quickly turned it over to the staff, and so we had a there was an ethos committee, and that ethos committee cool. helped take care of people. Whether it was you know we we were there were many different pillars of kind of that whether it was people's financial health and bringing in speakers on you know how to buy your first house, how to negotiate for you know a car and. Just basic, basic yeah. blocking and tackling of life that would allow people to get on the right path financially, or whether it was, you know, we we did a lot of mindfulness practice, and, you know, um, yeah, that's great, and you know, we would bring in different industry um, experts to talk to our leadership team so that we had perspective that was not just healthcare revenue cycle. It might be people from the restaurant industry yeah. or from, um, you know social activism and things like that, that would come in and just give us different perspectives. So we always were keeping our eyes and ears open as to yeah. how we could continue to just better interact with our staff. Yeah, so that's awesome. It's kind of cool. Leader in that sense um, here locally for sure. What do you, as you look out into the future, say 10, 15 years down the road for the healthcare industry in general, I mean, it's such a huge part of our you know national economy and certainly perhaps even more so for our local corridor economy, both in Cedar Rapids and, and obviously Iowa City, how how will healthcare change? How, how will healthcare change our communities that we're living in, the, the economies of our, of our local communities? If you could put your finger, you know, be a prognosticator for yeah. some big changes coming down the pipeline, you know, if we're to fast forward to 2035, you know, what's, 
how will healthcare change and how will healthcare change us in the way, the way we live here locally? So 15 years from now, ah, I would say 25 years from now, maybe, maybe even 50 years from now, it's going to be so much, it's, healthcare is going to be so specific to a person's needs based on DNA, yeah, yeah, yeah. genetic, um, you know, counseling on, okay, you've got this gene, this, this indicator for this genetic predisposition, mm-hmm. you know, what are we got, what do we have to do? And cause say that's 20 or 30 years out, what do we have to start doing now yeah. to help better prepare you to be able to handle what could be? Um, and that's, that's going to be fascinating and frightening all yeah. at the same time. Absolutely. You know, I mean, there is some of that going on right now with Alzheimer's and, and a few other things that you can get, you can check for genetic marking and predisposition. Sure. But today, not everybody wants that. Yeah. But in the future, I think as long as the insurance payers continue to stay involved in in this healthcare dynamic, um, there will be a, come a point when to be insured, you're going to have to get those types of tests done. Is what I think. And how about the business of healthcare? Yeah. Like I mentioned, I mean, you have St. Luke's and Mercy yeah. and UIC and the Steinlers, and then all the ancillary businesses that support those or rely upon them, whether it's a Medrev or the construction industries that are building for yeah. them. How about locally? Like, are, are we to be pretty secure and bullish in in that in healthcare and hospital systems role in our local economy? Or how do you see that yeah. changing down the you road? You know, it's funny because <clears throat> in some ways. Iowa, Cedar Rapids, that the community, we're so lucky that we have the Academic Medical Center because not only for the services that they provide, um, but also for the graduates that they produce. Sure. So whether it's nurses, you know, whether it's physicians, um, you know, all the ancillary rad techs, phlebotomists, all the things that come out of that pro- the programs there. Built um, up workforce to yeah, right, the door. Yeah. for our local community because a lot of the folks that are coming here are Iowans, right? Sure. And so they're going to want to stay locally. And what's happened across the entire United States is this urbanization, right? So yeah. considering, I think what's going to struggle in the Iowa communities will be the rural communities mm-hmm. trying to get providers and care um, out to those to the rural um, populations. Um, and so that's going to force us to think differently about how care is delivered. And interestingly enough, COVID is our, has, has probably been one of the singular most impactful forces that we've seen mm-hmm. because now telehealth visits are, they well, not maybe right now, but they were not too long ago required. I mean, you couldn't go into right. the physician physician's office for a mental health visit yeah. or for even some of the primary care easily di- more easily diagnosed mm-hmm. um, illnesses. So, you know, I think that there's going to continue to be this push towards, um, you know, maybe not less bricks and mortar, but um, the storefront's going to be different. It's yeah. going to become more of a more convenient frictionless self care yes. as much as you can do that. Yeah. yeah. Which that'll be interesting to see how it impacts builders. Yeah. I mean, build a suit and others. Yeah. You know, in the in the area that are. Um, that are winning some of these contracts, how much more building will there be? Yeah, absolutely. It's exciting stuff. Yeah. You know, also exciting is, you know, Medrev just within the last uh, three or four months, you know, early here in 2021 was uh, officially acquired by Tegria, which, um, you know, ended your tenure. You were able to exit, exit the company, you know, as the founder. Talk a bit about kind of that experience, both professionally for you, but then also personally. It's something you have invested you know, the latter, you know, majority of your professional career and time and energy and emotion into, 
you know, was there, was it one of those things that where there's no regrets or did you have some um, yeah. kind of emotional attachment moments along the way? Oh, man, definitely emotional attachment moments, but um, you know, it's funny. So um, we actually started our partnership with Tegria back in 2017. And so this was like a progressive um, acquisition by them. There mm -hmm. were four different uh, time periods where they incrementally took on a little bit more ownership of the company. So, you know, we saw it coming. Um, I think that um, their strategy is to buy a bunch of different companies and bring them together and, and ultimately create a much larger organization. And I think from my time at the university hospitals and then moving into um, the MetaRev world, I, what really gets me excited um, is the energy that's given to you by the people that you work with. Mm -hmm. And I was able to develop very, very strong relationships with, with the MetaRev team. And as I kind of looked into the future, you know, the um, corporate offices were going to be moving to, to Seattle. There was going to still be, and still will be, as far as I know, a very large contingent of, of staff here. There's 450 staff in right. Iowa. Um, but I'd also done it for 15 years. Yep. And, you know, um, it was, it's time to try something different. Yeah. Um, you know, I was 10 years at University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics, 15 years here, and felt like we built a company that could sustain any per single singular person. Mm -hmm. And so leaving, it was bittersweet because I, I left a lot of very, very good friendships. Yeah. Um, the opportunity to probably grow something to be even bigger than it was. But I like the element of building mm -hmm. um, from kind of the ground up. Yeah, it was built. And that's, it yeah. was built. And so it was built. And um, the other thing, though, that was interesting that I'll say that probably made it a little bit easier is we went to 100% remote workforce. Mm. Okay. And yep. yeah, and uh, and that cut the tether a little bit mm -hmm. um, just because you weren't seeing as connected people. Right? Yeah. And you weren't as connected. And so um, that probably made it a little bit easier to, to walk away yeah. as well. So what's guiding your decision now in terms of what that next chapter will be for you professionally? What are what are you uh, most excited about pursuing? Well, you know, I think the the business world is different than it was. I mean, when I started MetaRev, you know, it was very taxing from a travel standpoint. And I traveled two or three weeks a month right. for, you know, a dozen years. And so um, my kids are at an age right now where I've got one in elementary, two in elementary, one in junior high, and one in high school. And these will be continue to be very formative years. And so what will guide me is probably continue to do something that can keep me locally. Sure. Not that I'm not going to travel, but yeah. I don't want to be on a plane two or three weeks a, a month anymore. <laughs> I don't blame so, you on that. Yeah. Big deal. No, that's great. What a great luxury to have to be able to be with the family yeah. during, during that time, too. Absolutely. Well, that's exciting. Well, we always end these interviews with just kind of some rapid-fire questions. Um, as you look back on your success, specifically at MetaRev, how much of that would you contribute to, to luck versus hard work? Oh, man. You have to know how to work hard, but you also have to be at the right place at the right time. Yeah. Catch you know, a yeah, absolutely. Catch a flyer every now and then. Yep. If given the chance, uh, well, you're given the chance now, uh, what profession other than your own would you most like to attempt? Just say completely untethered to the time, place, location. You know, if you were to just go spend a year doing something else, what would it be? Oh, man. That's a great question. I love business. I love everything about it. I love leadership. I love the people. Um, 
what would I? Is there an industry that, that yeah. is there an industry that intrigues you that if, you, yeah, if this, it didn't matter if you didn't have any experience, you'd love to go just spend a couple of years leading a company in that industry? I think something in the technology field, mm -hmm. you know, product development, growing something, building building some technology from scratch would be pretty, I think, rewarding. Yeah, that's great. Uh, how about a business leader? Is there someone that you've looked up to or followed either local locally or within the the healthcare industry? Yeah, there's there's two actually. Um, Ed Howell, who used to be the CEO at University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics when I started there. Um, he's been a longtime mentor of mine and will continue to be. Um, and then another gentleman whose name is Jim Crook, who is, um, is someone who was one of our original investors at MetaRev and continues to be, uh, he's probably moving into more of like a kind of a venture capital role, but mm -hmm. um, more on a personal basis and just continuing to learn from him and, you know, how how to identify businesses that are of interest and continue to help grow is, is pretty cool. That's great. How about a podcast or TV show? Well, you got a little more free time, not as the full-time CEO is or something. Oh man. Either in your, in your, uh, fresh iTunes fresh. Q or, or a Netflix library there. Yeah. HBO max man. succession. Yeah, that's good. It's a train wreck, that's but, good. uh, you know, you can learn a lot from watching, uh, there's some business. There's a lot of, business there's a lot, lot of business yeah. in there. Politics, yeah, the, family politics, yeah, yeah. and uh, and that's 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 what's on the the watch list right now. Oh yeah, it's fun. I'm a couple behind, so I'm I'm due for a little binge myself. If you had 30 extra minutes in a day, what would you do with them? I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read okay. all day long. Which leads me to my next question: If you have a book, either in business or elsewhere, that's been influential in your career? Yeah, I mean, there's so many actually. Um, it's uh, you know, it's interesting. I listen to a a lot of nonfiction uh, listened to recently or um, or read and you know I go back to some basic things like Freakonomics is a book that really um, it's it's old but it's one that really causes you to think differently some of the Malcolm Gladwell things I know they're oh, yeah. they're a little kitschy right now and you know but when the first couples came out those were those outstanding yeah. mind-bending books which I really liked um, but I'm quick to pick up a leadership book you know as well uh, along the way so that's great and then last question is just simply in one sentence how would you define success one sentence well I would say surround yourself with great people who can help you achieve you know the your personal and professional goals yeah um, yeah it's yeah. great that teamwork is is so important so and cool. yeah you you guys have done that at MetaRev and uh, continue to do it now um, in that next chapter so yeah. Look, look forward to seeing what that is. And thanks a lot, Chris, for taking the time. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks, Nate. Yep, you bet. This episode was produced by Joe Coffey of Coffee Grande Studios. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at CB Journal. 